Welcome to this mini-episode of The Mary Mavis Show, where Mary shares ideas about a common client question. Now, here's Mary Mavis. Today, I'm talking about politics in organizations. So raise your hand now if you think of politics as a negative dynamic, maybe even a dirty part of work life. If your hand is raised, you are likely in the majority of any large group. Our common reference is with government politics, but politics at work is unlike politics in governing a country, a region, state, or city. We do not elect our leaders for terms of office. They do not need to focus on financial contributions from their constituents. Imagine if they did. The complexity of competing interests is just not the same, but we often throw the term around equating two very different worlds. Actually, most humans are fascinated by politics. We watch many TV series that are chock full of dirty business. News articles and programs lead with the most sensational players and play. They do so because we love to see the chaos. We say we don't like it, but we do watch. Yet most of us are incensed by any politics affecting our personal world. We might still be intrigued, but we definitely do not like it. Let's start then by defining what we mean by politics. It's really when you get down to it. It's decision-making in a group, often requiring compromise, negotiation, or alignment among players. When everyone is working toward the same goal without competing interests, we are most likely to call this decision-making collaboration. But a natural part of work and life includes competing interests. We have functions that have competing interests, divisions that have competing interests, individuals that have competing career interests. In one of our episodes, you will hear Julian Kaufman pose that teaming and aligning are anything but natural to human beings. When politics really feels like dirty business is when someone is wielding their power. It's especially egregious to people when a person takes actions that seem totally self-serving, not just a competing business interest. Even if that is true, it doesn't mean we have to back off out of the play. Secondly, let's talk about power. There are two types of power. Positional power means the person has the authority to decide by virtue of the role they play. The second type of power is personal power, where an individual is using influence and relationships to achieve an outcome. You might be saying, why do we have to talk about power and influence at all? Wouldn't it be better to simply make logical decisions? Well, sure it would. And far more decisions get made based on a logical case for the decision than get shadowed by power dynamics. But we don't usually object to those decisions. We see the logic. Power dynamics are everywhere. We can start with the family. We all grow up in different families and communities. That early reality shapes our way of thinking about how decisions should be made. Think about how your mother and father made decisions. I can tell you that it looked like my mother made every decision in our family, only to find out that years later, my father was a silent decider. And for sure, my two brothers and I had no decision rights in any of the key decisions in our family. That just wasn't the way we did it. 
Now I wish I had known that my father had that kind of decision power because I would have been able to influence decisions better that related to me. When human beings are involved, power structures naturally emerge. You have to decide whether you're going to play in decision-making in your organization or not. Here's a story to show the power of paying attention and then playing in the dynamics. At the time, John O'Brien was the head of early development projects for a pharmaceutical company. John described himself as a misfit to the culture. He definitely wasn't in the club. He thought very differently about key decisions. He was pretty smart, so he could more than hold his own in the logic of decision-making. But he was running into deflating resistance with other senior leaders. When he made his pitch to change the way they developed their portfolio of products, every other player had far more positional power than John did. It was their decision. So we stepped back and talked about how he was using his personal power. He recognized in that diagnosis that three things. One, he knew a lot about each person. He knew their background. He knew what their family life was like. He knew the areas that they were most concerned with. He knew a lot. He just wasn't using it to that point. Secondly, it was easy for him to grab a beer or lunch with people. He was a very social guy who people liked to be around. He made those social events mostly about the people who he was friends with and not necessarily a strategic advantage with co-creators that he needed to bring around. Third, he was all about the outcome. His work and his decisions were not about his glory. That doesn't mean that he didn't have a big ego, because he does. It doesn't mean that he didn't want to be rewarded, because he did and he does. But when we diagnosed the typical discussion, he saw that he was using his smart ideas as a challenge. He was telling and selling. And of course, if he thought about what he knew about himself, he's really a sales guy at heart. So it came very naturally for him to use his smart ideas and his selling way, and he was getting resistance. So he began using social and short meetings to understand more fully the competing interests among the deciders. He began seeing the series of meetings as a playing field, one that he could work to direct the right conversations. He didn't put the big idea on the table himself. He asked others to talk about their perspective. He wove the decision dialogue to be far more strategic by the way he engaged key players. Did he get exactly what he wanted? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But he didn't draw fire from a perceived enemy. You can hear more wisdom and stories from John O'Brien in episode number five. If you're game for the play in organizational decisions, what can you do? Three things. Become a master at understanding the powerful people around your result. Create your database of information with the five questions tool and really think about what drives the thinking and actions of key co-creators. Two, get up above the playing field, the battlefield if you want to think about it like that. Be curious. 
Make the moves informational. Generals don't say, wait a minute, that's not fair play. They lift their view above the battle and strategize their next three moves. Lay out what you see happening, especially patterns of action and dialogue. Notice what you don't know about the play. Isolate different plays that you can make or initiate for others to make. Three, get in the game using your own power early and often, strategically. What role can you play? What relationship can you ignite? If your motive is to get the best outcome for the organization, your play can be strategic, not political. When your intent is self-serving, you will likely be less effective because you will infect the play and attract resistance. Politics is about people dynamics. You can be a positive and powerful part of those dynamics. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Today's show was produced by Eric Aubrey. Our theme music was written and produced by Eric Aubrey and Tim McKinstry. The show's graphics were designed by Devin Marciano. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google, Apple, or Spotify. You can also find episodes at MavisCompany.com, where I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter. I hope you use some nugget to help you create remarkable results in your world. Thank you for listening.